This podcast is brought to you by the upcoming Bioceuticals Seminar Series, The New Science of Detoxification with Dr. Chris Shade. Dr. Shade is a globally recognised expert on toxic burden and targeted liposomal delivery systems. He has lectured and trained doctors in the US and internationally on the subject of mercury, heavy metals and the human detoxification system. In this one-day workshop, Dr. Shade will share his deep understanding on how to restore, manage and augment all three phases of detoxification with profound implications for health. At the end of the day, you will have a full understanding of how to provide a personalised, holistic detoxification program that moves away from the hit-and-miss shotgun approach practitioners may have used in the past. For more information, visit bioceuticals.com.au slash education slash events. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And with me in the studio today is Belinda Reynolds, who is a dietitian with over 15 years' experience in the integrative medicine industry. She's also a highly acclaimed and respected speaker in her education manager role with Bioceuticals, and she regularly presents to audiences throughout Australia and New Zealand. She's very well known for her practical and easy style, bringing complex biochemical processes into an easily digestible format with practical clinical applications. And I truly welcome you again, Belinda. Thank you for having me. So, Belinda, today we're going to be talking about autoimmunity and the how it meshes in several seemingly disparate systems of the human body. And I think that's one of the big dangers in today's society. Everything's so complex that we tend to compartmentalise. Absolutely. So, talk to me first about. What sort of conditions are we going to be talking about? So we'll be looking at autoimmunity in general to give an overall picture of what it is that tends to uh, lead to the the development of this immune dysfunction. Um, But we can then also uh, look a little bit at uh, conditions such as multiple sclerosis, uh, also systemic lupus, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, and also thyroid diseases as well. So there, that, that to me is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's so many different conditions in there, isn't there? there? Are, even, you know, it's like, where do you stop? That's <laughs> How long right. have we got? Because <laughs> <laughs> even cardiovascular disease and different aspects of that are considered um, to have an autoimmune component. So, Absolutely. Yeah, where, where do you draw the line mm. and, and stop classifying something as an autoimmune issue? So I think when we're talking naturopathically, one of the things, one of the axioms of naturopathic therapy is the gut. Mm-hmm. And... I think one of the biggest dangers is to treat symptomatically and we, we start to fall into the little doctor mentality and I, I just think leave medicine to the doctors. The beauty of natural medicine is that we can support the natural processes of the human body. But I think we've got to understand some pathology that's going on there and that's got to do with dendritic cell recruitment, hasn't it? That's right, yeah. So generally the type of... T-cell that we tend to see as elevated in people with autoimmune diseases are the Th17 cells. Uh, Also, too, many of the diseases have an inflammatory component where there can be high Th1 as well. Mm. Uh, But generally, this can stem from 
a uh, insufficient production of the regulatory T cells. And so when we're looking to try and really get down to the root of what is contributing to the immune dysfunction, we need to try and bring those elevations in Th17 and Th1 down and promote the regulatory T cell release. And we do this by uh, assisting with the healthy and uh, appropriate uh, maturation of dendritic cells. So one of the things that I've been very interested in is the, the sort of evolution of uh, a bug that was found um, in the distal human ileum. It was first isolated, isolated in animals and it, you can't culture it, so you've got to biopsy it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's called, they're called segmented filamentous bacteria or SFBs mm-hmm. and they're related to Clostridium bacteria or Clostridiae. And they appear to prime the body for, for potential autoimmunity if you have, A, lack of commensal bacteria to balance those out, but also the gene, which will trigger into that, into an inflammatory response or, or an autoimmune response. But what I'm interested in is, um, just reading a paper the other day, they found it in, in high amounts in adults with ulcerative colitis, but in none of the samples with Crohn's disease. So to me, I think it smacks of us getting back to a balance thing. That's right. So what sort of things would you employ when you're looking at rebalancing the gut, even in a you know a, a really bad autoimmune disease? Yeah, so I think you're, you're absolutely right. The balance is, is key there because even if it is the Th17 cells that the SFBs are, are priming the immune system to produce, that can be beneficial because the Th17 is responsible for our humoral immune responses. So it, it assists us in fending off pathogens and, and addressing infections. Um, however, it's just when they push too high because they're not being kept under control by other other things uh, that the, the problem develop. So one of the first things to do is to try and uh, ensure that there is a healthy balance within the microbiome of the gastrointestinal tract. And that tends to assist in promoting regulatory T cells uh, and suppressing any excess release of those Th17 and the Th1. In addition to that, we also need to ensure that we're maintaining the integrity of the gut lining uh, because it's when we have the presence of the dysbiosis combined with certain nutritional deficiencies and potentially a high intake of gluten, uh, this disrupts that barrier. And as a result, it's not being as selective as it should be and allowing the passage of uh, undesirable compounds into the body. And this is eliciting a really inflamed immune response uh, and uh, the passage of the lipopolysaccharides or the, the LPS that are on the, the cell endotoxins that are on the cell wall of gram-negative bacteria, when they're able to pass through that gut barrier due to a dysfunction there, mm. that tends to result in a Th17 uh cell-mediated immune response, which, of course, then can contribute to autoimmunity. And so what we need to do, as well as correcting the microbial balance in the gut, is also provide the nutrients that are essential in maintaining that gut barrier, um, but also in 
modulating the immune response as well. So vitamin D and also vitamin A have both been shown to be essential in not only maintaining gut health, but also in ensuring healthy regulatory T cell release and keeping Th17 uh, release under control. So they're two incredibly essential components uh, of our immune system, both in terms of protecting us from infection, but also minimising the risk of those uh, autoimmune and inflammatory related illnesses. I think, you know, when you realise the enormity of the breadth of species and genera of mm. of the I should say that the other way around, genera and species of the human intestinal tract. You know, we can try and give a probiotic and pray. Mm-hmm. But, but I think at the very minimum, you've got to be giving as broad a spectrum of species as you can. And me personally, I'd be giving as high a dose as you can. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is we've got to realise the importance of foods and nutrients and and this is where I, I think the beauty of nutrition comes in and herbal medicine in balancing something that causes, or sorry, balancing a dysfunction out rather than a, blocking the dysfunction like drugs do. That could be managed medically. But what naturopathic medicine can do is to balance the initial insult or the the antecedents to that inflammatory response. So this is where the, you know, the vitamin D is like, there's some really interesting stuff coming out now. Mm. And I think it trashes the Marshall protocol, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And um, I mean, the doses that they're looking at using. So I have a particular interest in multiple sclerosis and I've done a lot of uh, reading there. And um, a couple of studies have shown that using the 50,000 international units uh, every five days for a period of three months mm-hmm. um, provided some significant beneficial changes in the immune picture of those patients. Yep. What's interesting, though, as well, is that when we look at uh, the use of or correcting the diet, so if when, uh, when people are consuming sufficient prebiotic fibres and as a result they're encouraging uh, the growth and the... Um, the functioning of the probiotics in the gut, uh, that can actually beneficially alter the expression of vitamin D receptors at the gut level. So a lot of these things can really work in a symbiotic type yeah, relationship um, to promote health. So, yeah, it's important that we're not only doing one thing but considering all factors. Um, so, yeah, definitely we need to ensure that the diet is rich in the fibres that promote the growth of uh, probiotics because realistically uh, we aren't yet able to culture every single one of the different potentially beneficial species or strains that exist within the gastrointestinal tract. So, and, in, and indeed, as practitioners, we can't give them. No. They're not, they're not listable. They're That's not, right. Yeah. So again, foods. Yeah, yeah. So we, we need to be providing that type of diet, which is encouraging the growth of those that we're able um, to provide as a supplement. So fibre is essential. We need to ensure that we're cutting down on excess sugars and other things which can encourage the the growth of those that are less desirable in higher numbers. Uh, we need to keep the bowels moving uh, because that ensures that we're not getting, again, that overproduction of some undesirable compounds. Um 
And of course, fluid is really important there as well, because that ensures that everything is moving through nicely and that you don't have that that backup of, of stool sitting in the gut, um, potentially sort of fermenting and producing undesirable things and giving the body also too uh, an opportunity for, for toxins to mm-hmm. be leaching back Absolutely. into the system. On the topic of toxicity, actually, there was a, a recent study which came out showing that uh, levels of methylmercury in the body's of of women of childbearing age uh, at levels that were previously considered to be safe were actually uh, stood out as one of the main risk factors for having autoantibodies uh, in the system. So we really do need to consider toxicity as a potential contributor to autoimmunity as well. And the health of the gut actually comes into that as well. So If we have the leaky gut barrier, the body is going to be exposed to a greater amount of toxins, particularly those that are coming in through the diet uh, because these toxins are being granted passage into the body. And in addition to that, if we have dysbiosis and therefore inflammation uh, along the within the cells that line the gastrointestinal tract, we end up with a depletion in glutathione and the, the general processes that would naturally occur to protect the body from exposure to toxins uh, start to fall down. And as a result, we get a greater passage of those toxins into the body. If you get inflammation stemming from that leaky gut, you can also end up with a blood-brain barrier dysfunction. That then leaves the central nervous system uh, more vulnerable to the toxins that are in the blood because they're able to gain a passage to the brain and cause a whole range of inflammatory uh, issues there as well. There's so many clinical pearls that you said there, and I want to recap for our listeners a few of them because, (laughs) seriously, there was a whole clump of them. (laughs) So I think the first one that people need to take away is that it's really hard if you don't know how to read a paper, but you've got to be aware that when you're looking at things like vitamin D or when you're looking at any study, but let's take vitamin D, you've got to use appropriate dose. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at the positive trials on MS or autoimmunity, they're using appreciable doses. And as you said, they were 50,000 units mm-hmm. every week, was it? Every five days. Every five days. Yeah. So more, nearly every week. Yeah. And that was over a period of three months. Mm-hmm. So that's called STOS therapy. And that's indeed, they, they're using higher than that in Westmead Children's Hospital. Mm. So that's certainly safe for adults. You're not going to run into toxicity at that dose. And there's no evidence for, the, for, for that sort of thing. You have to use hundreds of thousands. What is it? 50,000 units per day over months to get toxicity. That's number one. So vitamin D at that dose is safe and you've got to use appreciable dose. The other one is... Um, glutathione deficiency. So you can either give glutathione and we know that glutathione is used by the intestinal cells Mm -hmm. or we can indeed, if you want to heal the gut, use glutamine and other things, you know, cysteine. But you've got to use appreciable doses and the human research on glutamine was looking at like 28 grams a day. It was massive. It was huge. Wow. That was, I think that was in abdo surgery or okay. something like that. But you're looking at that sort of dose, mm-hmm. you know, gram dosages. And the other thing I just wanted to mention to our listeners was a difference. It's sort of a teasing apart. We tend to clump Saccharomyces boulardii into being a probiotic, and it's not. SB can be used – sorry, my point is when you're going to be using a probiotic, you want broad spectrum. If you want to use one 
species or strain, you you better be damn sure that there's human evidence for that Mm -hmm. to work. Rather than that, we want a broad spectrum. But differently, Saccharomyces boulardii can be used as a single entity or indeed in combination with probiotics. But it's not a probiotic. It's a it's not a commensal bacteria. It's something that helps our bacteria, helps our gut wall, helps our normal, um, helps to normalise our inflammatory response, so that the probiotics and the commensal bacteria that you're feeding with good food can actually thrive. And I think that's a couple of just little tidbits that yeah, people that's can perfect. take away. Yeah, the Saccharomyces, uh, it. it as it moves through the gastrointestinal tract, it it does sort of stimulate a beneficial immune response. So you get an increased production of secretory immunoglobulin A, and it also assists in the development of the the biofilm to which your beneficial bacterial strains will actually sort of adhere and embed themselves. So um, generally, the that increase in the production of uh, secretory IgA uh, not only can assist with the adherence of the beneficial microbes, but it also acts like a first line of defence mm. and protects the underlying immune cells from exposure to a great number of different things. Yeah. And as a result, it's it's not going to be reacting as much, and you're sort of helping to calm the immune system. And it increases the production of the regulatory T cells, which again are keeping not only the Th17 but also the Th1 and Th2 under control. It also assists with uh, helping improve the health of those tight gap junctions to maintain good intestinal integrity. Um, but with the Saccharomyces boulardii, I would always use it f- at first or together with a probiotic, uh, but move in with a probiotic at some stage. Don't yeah. just use it and then cease supplementation and not move on with anything else. Yeah, three to five days after you cease it, it's gone. It's yeah. done its job, that's, hopefully. That's right. And it's it's often acted as a fantastic surrogate microorganism, sort of filling gaps where... Uh, other beneficial microbes may have otherwise been to prevent mm. some overgrowth of uh, undesirable microorganisms, but definitely move in with something really high dose and, and broad spectrum. Because uh, when we do look uh, at all of the research which has investigated the state of people's microbiome and their uh, resultant risk of immune dysfunction type disease, uh, it's the diversity which seems to be the most important factor uh, for the prevention of illness development. So uh, definitely ensure that that diversity. When we're looking at the the toxicity side of things, so I was talking about yeah, the, the heavy metals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people generally consider the liver to be the primary detoxification organ. And it does absolutely play a massive role in our detoxification processes, but it's estimated that the gut carries out at least a quarter of the detoxification processes mm, that mm. are occurring yeah, in our body. And it not only ensures healthy excretion of toxins, but it's also essential for preventing uh, the internal environment's exposure to toxins. So within the cells that line the gut, we have both phase one and phase three uh, uh, compounds functioning. So when we have a toxin uh, passing into the, the gastrointestinal uh, lining, the environment, uh, you have the cytochrome P450 enzymes there working uh, to try and neutralize uh, these toxins. And then you have the phase three antiporter proteins, which are then trying to spit these toxins back out into the intestinal lumen to prevent their ability to pass 
into the body. And this is constantly happening. And that is how these healthy gut cells are going to be protecting us from being exposed to some of the toxins that we're eating. Now, if we have, again, that leaky gut, if we have a lot of inflammation occurring at the gut level, uh, that will significantly interfere or compromise those normal detoxification processes. And and as a result, we'll get an increased um, internal exposure. So it's important to limit the amount of toxins coming in through the diet. So we need to consider the the types of fish that are high in methylmercury and avoid those. So flake or shark, swordfish, um, all of those fish that tend to be high in mercury mm, is really mm. best to avoid. And, and unfortunately, they're the really good tasting ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sea perch and things like that. But we need the oily fish. And, and you know, there's some really lovely tasting um, oily, they call them oily fish. The only one that I don't like is mullet. I, I just can't wrap my head around that one, but, <laughs> but I think it's the name. But, but um, you know, like tuna, salmon, mackerel, they're all really beautiful flesh mm. uh, of fish, you know, and obviously there's issues with supply of that one and where we get it in our food yeah. chain, but um, <laughs> that's just the human demand on food, isn't it, that, yeah. that we inhabit the planet. Um, y- you mentioned something there about... Um, you know the the detoxification in the gut, and I just want to point out to our listeners, you know, when you mentioned phase one and phase three, um, for those practitioners that might want to look at that rather than the methylation and acetylation all that sort of thing, they look and glutathionation, they should look at mixed function oxidizers and and start to educate themselves on on the role of the gut. But but when you're talking about um, toxification with heavy metals. Tell me what we can use to improve the gut integrity and indeed our detoxification abilities. So uh, first of all, we need to be maximising our the functioning of our glutathione systems because it's largely involved in the detoxification of a lot of metals and other toxins, of course, from the body. Uh, but as we're mentioning, that the depletion of glutathione as a result of inflammation is one of the things that can actually impede the normal functioning of the phase three enzymes or the phase three proteins, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, resulting in both insufficient excretion of toxins, uh, but also an increased potential uptake of toxins from from the diet. So we need to do two things. We need to look at reducing inflammation, uh, particularly in the gut, and that can be done through the use of the probiotics to help calm that immune function locally there. The vitamin D and the vitamin A also come in there too. Uh, What we also need to uh, look at is we can consider supplementing with glutathione itself, uh, but we also need to consider the fact that glutathione doesn't function on its own. So we take reduced glutathione uh, in order for it to function um, as a detoxifier detoxifying agent in phase two. Uh, It requires the function of the glutathione S-transferase enzyme, and that can actually be upregulated with the use of certain phytochemicals. So, for example, those that are found in milk thistle. Mm. So it can really help to improve the functioning of our glutathione. If we're looking at glutathione's uh, function as an antioxidant, so when we're looking at trying to calm inflammation, uh, once it uh, it, it comes in as reduced glutathione or is manufactured as reduced glutathione. In order for it to function as an antioxidant, it requires uh, uh, glutathione peroxidase, which is a selenoprotein. So selenium is essential for healthy glutathione function. 
uh, the glutathione then becomes oxidised and in order for it to be reduced again, uh, it relies on the presence of both vitamin B2 and vitamin B3. So you start to see that there's so many different nutrients there all working mm. together and uh, in order to keep that cycle turning, it's essential to be uh, well-nourished and to have all of those nutrients at good doses uh, in the body. N-acetylcysteine, or sorry, acysteine, is used to uh, manufacture glutathione as well as acting as an antioxidant in its own right. So cysteine is really important. And if we're looking to maximise the availability of reduced cysteine uh, to manufacture glutathione, the alpha-lipoic acid is essential. So alpha-lipoic acid, again, acts as an antioxidant in its own right. It's both water and fat-soluble, can cross the blood-brain barrier, uh, but it assists in uh, helping to reduce uh, cysteine to increase the availability of that reduced cysteine to um, be involved in the manufacturing of glutathione. And interestingly, alpha-lipoic acid uh, and selenium have both been shown in a number of trials to be beneficial for a variety of different autoimmune diseased uh, states. And, and there's a real clinical need for some of these nutrients, aren't there? Because, you know, the, the naysayers would say, oh, we'll, we'll just get it in our food and there's normal levels. But indeed, we've got issues with getting enough selenium, haven't we? We do, both selenium and a number of the other trace minerals as well. Um, the food supply is simply quite deficient in a lot of these minerals. It's a combination of different things, including the, the concentrated farming practices. There really just isn't the minerals to go around in the soils. And as a result, our foods are deficient and therefore we're becoming deficient uh, because we don't even eat enough of them in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that they're depleted of these minerals means that we certainly do end up uh, with a reduced level and in our body. I think people don't realise uh, or don't appreciate just how ancient the Australian land mass is. That's why we don't have huge mountains. Mm. You know, our mountains are hills. <laughs> yeah, compared to others, they are. <laughs> and and uh, so a lot of those micronutrients have actually been washed away into the sea, whereas you get a younger country like New Zealand and that's a lot more volcanic and there's a lot more nourishment, if you like, in the topsoils. Mm. So Australia is inherently selenium deficient, in, particularly in certain areas. Mm. So let's move on now because herbs, you know, are just so dear to my heart and they've got some beautiful actions in autoimmune disease and indeed safety would be one of the big triggers, the big bells, alarm bells that would ring. But we've got some good news for our listeners with those, <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> yeah, so hemidesmus is a herb. Uh, which has traditionally been used in autoimmune conditions such as rheumatism. And generally, I have heard the belief that it is an immune suppressant and therefore unsafe in certain situations, such as when someone may have an infection. And when you actually look at the mechanism of action of the herbs, however, this isn't true. Uh, it's actually an immune modulator and is, in fact, indicated in certain states of infection during fever, uh, in bronchitis. So what is really nice about this herb is that it provides an immune balancing effect, making it useful for autoimmunity, but also beneficial in addressing the presence of infection. Uh, in addition to that, it also has anti-notraceptive uh, benefits, meaning that it's great for uh, inflammatory pain, uh, which tends to be present in a number of different autoimmune uh, disease states. And 
when we mentioned the the presence of infection, that's probably something interesting to talk about mm. because generally in autoimmune disease, we think, well, the immune system is overreacting. There generally wouldn't be much infection present. But uh, certain states of autoimmunity, for example, SLE, uh, they've actually found that these individuals have a greater load of Epstein-Barr virus in their body. And when the uh, the virus levels go up, this is actually associated with flare-ups in the disease. So uh, when we're looking to address autoimmune diseases and really get to the root, not only do we need to address the gut health and address any nutritional deficiencies, calm inflammation, uh, support glutathione function, we also need to ensure that we're uh, addressing the potential presence of a viral or infection load in the body, which could be triggering an immune response. And hemidesmus is actually really useful there. Uh, berberine, uh, which is standardised in uh, certain philodendron extracts, for example, uh, it's been shown not only to help bring down TH17 and promote immune balance, uh, but it also too has uh, the benefits of being antimicrobial uh, and supporting with the clearance of infection. And then when we think about it, Vitamin D and vitamin A mm. also play an essential role in, in normal immune immune function. Uh, and on top of that, there's certain strains of probiotics that not only provide that immune modulating benefit, uh, but uh, lactobacillus gasseri, for example, has been shown to increase the cyto cytotoxicity of natural killer cells mm. um, systemically. So uh, when we're looking at balancing the immune system, the a complementary medicine has so many things to offer uh, in terms of addressing all of the underlying issues that could be present. I think the, the very important point there is, you know, any immunologist, any, any specialist who's treating patients, um, let's take, for instance, rheumatoid arthritis, which medically has a very poor track record of treatment. They haven't got the answers. Mm. And I think rather than just going, no, that natural medicine is bad and might interfere with my medicine, if they, if they actually investigated what's happening um, with the immune system and how n nutrition can modulate that response, they would actually get those results that they're after, that they're seeking if they start to blend or marry allopathic medicine with naturopathic medicine that's that's you know done in a reasonable you know judicial but um, uh, evidence-based way absolutely and I mean I'd always take into account what it is that what medications the patient is on and weigh up the risk versus benefit and consider what potential interactions are present generally any interactions are purely theoretical. Uh, there's not generally a lot of human evidence, uh, for example, looking at hemidesmus and how it may interact with certain immune suppressant drugs. Uh, and there's nothing really to suggest that it's a huge problem. Uh, but again, it's that risk versus benefit um, that we need to take into account. And if for some reason we choose not to go down the herbal path, there's so many options mm. uh, available to use. So the probiotics, very safe. The vitamin D and the vitamin A, very, very safe. Looking at glutathione, the lipoic acid, the selenium, uh, and even considering turmeric as well. Um, they're all fantastic. Uh, turmeric, interestingly, not only is it a potent anti-inflammatory and antioxidant, 
antioxidant, but it's actually, uh, the curcumin has been shown to be a ligand for the vitamin D receptor, so it can ah. provide additional benefits there. Yeah, it's quite interesting. As Dr. Lise Auschler actually presented some yeah. research on that um, at one of her talks, and uh, that that really got me interested in investigating that further. Good old curcumin. So, yeah, <laughs> yes. What isn't it grateful? What isn't it grateful? <laughs> 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 but, um, but yeah, we have so many things that, that are available to us that could potentially uh, really support uh, people that are experiencing these, these autoimmune issues. So for our listeners who want to look at some of the evidence with, with this, and, and indeed if there's any medicos out there that might be sort of poking it with a stick, you know, I would definitely um, urge them to get um, herbs and natural supplements by Associate Professor Leslie Braun and mm-hmm. Professor Mark Cohen. Brilliantly written yeah. and, and balanced because Leslie is a pharmacist and a naturopath. So she has that, you know, responsible um, ethical moral, if you like, standard uh, of the pharmacist, but she's also got that beautiful um, traditional knowledge um, and she looks at the evidence therein of herbs and natural supplements and certainly in combination with Mark Cohen, they do a fantastic job. Yeah, it's an incredible resource. We yeah. use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And indeed it was it, – it, it got one of the – I think it was the top four – for evidence-based um, resources for physicians if wow. they wanted to access that in Australia. That was on the NPS website, NPS Medicine Wise, mm. 2009. So and I'll urge all medicos to get a hold of that copy. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the big thing about this too is that I really don't think that what we're talking about today has to ever be an alternative medicine. It's about being a complementary medicine or part of an integrative approach uh, because yeah, it doesn't have to be separate from from drugs. It can certainly be used alongside them Mm. uh, to provide real benefits for these patients. Mm, That's right. And indeed, you know, when you're looking at some of the, you know, more inflammatory-based autoimmune diseases, um, you know, the new new guard, if you like, of drugs, the monoclonal antibodies or the MAB drugs – you know, there's constraints placed on their procurement, on their prescriptions. So, you know, if somebody doesn't access their authorised prescription uh, within three months, it's actually cut. Mm. And so they've got to be on top of that from a medical standpoint and they've got to blend that with natural medicine so that their um, condition, their symptom picture, if you like, is normalised over a period of time. So it's it's really interesting. Mm, It is. So just as a a wrap-up... We need to start with diet Mm -hmm. and eating. Help me. Follow on from there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so the... The first thing is we need to reduce the toxic load in people. So look towards organic food if you can or where you can. Any change is a good change. Mm. Uh, Also look to fish that are known to be low in mercury, so non-farmed fish. We also look to like the grass-fed meats. Um, Dr. Terry Walls actually has a a great diet um, and she recommends every day having three cups of uh, dark green leafy vegetables, three cups of the high-sulfur containing uh, type vegetables, so your cabbages and... and Broccoli, broccoli, kale. Yep, Yep. and then uh, three cups of your brightly... Uh, coloured berries and and fruits and vegetables uh, in order to achieve a really significant intake of all of those nutrients that are supporting detoxification and helping to uh, mop up oxidative stress and regulate inflammation. 
We need to ensure that the diet is, is rich in fibre so that we're encouraging the growth of all of those beneficial microorganisms and we need to keep the bowels moving. We need to ensure that we have good gut integrity. Uh, that can mean for a certain portion of the population removing gluten. Uh, the gliadin from gluten is a known contributor to leaky gut uh, due to an increased release of zonulin. Uh, so definitely consider that or at least reducing the intake of gluten. Uh, we also need to ensure that we're maximising the effectiveness of our detoxification processes and keeping inflammation at bay. In uh, addition to that, we need to consider that there may be an infection load in the body and ensure that we're providing a combination of different uh, treatments which are assisting in bringing that down. Uh, and furthermore, we also need to look at addressing any potential symptoms that are present. So, for example, if we are looking at painful conditions, we, we can provide things like the curcumin, which are great anti-inflammatories and can really help get uh, the pain under control. Uh, in addition to that, it's worth considering uh, magnesium, actually. If we have uh, a great deal of pain there, that can be stemming from high levels of substance P, which are released in in response to inflammation. And substance P can actually be uh, quite detrimental because it stimulates the release of NF-kappa B, which mm. reinitiates inflammation. Uh, substance P requires the enzyme neutral, uh, sorry, neuro... Um, Neutral endopeptidase. NEP, sorry. Yeah. I always get that one confused too. <laughs> um, for, for it to be broken down. And that enzyme is actually uh, reliant on magnesium. So in the face of a magnesium deficiency, we're not able to break that substance P down efficiently. We remain in chronic pain and we're constantly reactivating that inflammatory process. And substance P uh, can actually uh, contribute to a variety of different uh, symptoms within the central nervous system and the gut as well. So it's a, a big one that we need to try and keep mm. under control, and both through those anti-inflammatory things like the curcumin, but also through the um, magnesium to assist in its uh, timely breakdown. There's also other herbs that I don't know of their actions on substance P necessarily, but certainly in chronic pain, things like Jamaican dogwood, corydalis. Ah, yes. yep. Beautiful herbs. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamaican dogwood, you've got to be a little bit responsible with it. Not, mm -hmm. uh, not paranoid, but just responsible. You don't um, go silly on the dosage. But, um, um, but corydalis is, is a beautiful herb as well that can be used. Yeah. In addition to that, we just do also need to consider healthy mitochondrial function as well. So if the mitochondria isn't functioning efficiently, that's when we also get a higher production of oxidative stretch, stress, which initiates inflammation, which contributes to more oxidative stress, which interferes with healthy mitochondrial function, and you get the whole yeah. nasty cycle occurring again. So um, a lot of what we've spoken about, such as the aflopoic acid, the magnesium, all of these things can support healthy mitochondrial function. Uh, but adding in things like coenzyme Q10, uh, particularly in older individuals mm. as they're more likely to be deficient uh, can be really effective as well, not only for getting to the, the underlying issue of the immune dysfunction, uh, but it can also help with addressing fatigue, yeah. uh, particularly, again, with the, the MS, for example. And in older people, it's preferential that they have the ubiquinol form, the yes. reduced form of CoQ10, because they don't have those enzymes working as efficiently. Is that right? That's That's correct. Belinda, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your huge breadth of knowledge um, with our listeners again. I really do appreciate taking us through 
the nutrients that we can use, the beautiful herbs that we have at our disposal to help balance autoimmune diseases. But I think the, you know, giving practitioners the confidence to approach the, the management of, of autoimmune diseases in a complementary way, a truly complementary way, with orthodox medicine, and um, you know, to do that really safely, I think that's a that's a beautiful thing to do. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. It's always great chatting with you. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. This podcast was brought to you by the New Science of Detoxification, Advanced Approaches to Phase One, Two, and Three Support. For more information, visit bioceuticals.com.au slash education slash events.